Hey everyone, welcome to Go Bold. Our podcast brings you senior leaders from across Allied Military Services. In doing so, we are trying to preserve history so we never forget the service of those who chose to serve in uniform. We also make a concerted effort to speak with leaders in industry. No matter the guest, we discuss experiences and insight, we discuss topics that are relevant to today, and we discuss topics that are relevant for the future. My guest today is Lieutenant Colonel Tim Kenny of the Canadian Army. Colonel Kenny is an infantry officer by trade, and he has served in combat theaters in the Middle East. Today, Lieutenant Colonel Kenny is the commanding officer of the Canadian Army's Advanced Warfare Center, which is the functional center of excellence for the Canadian Army's myriad of environmental domains, including Arctic, jungle, and other complex terrains. The Advanced Warfare Center is also the functional center of excellence for technical domains, like patrol pathfinder, airborne, helicopter insertion, and aerial delivery. The colonel shares his motivation to serve, and he kindly shares his personal reflections on the NATO and Allied Forces campaign in Afghanistan, as well as his thoughts on the current war in Ukraine. We then do a deep dive into the Advanced Warfare Center that Colonel Kenny leads. We discuss the various tasks they are charged with, including training specialists for various domains like the Arctic, as well as some of the contingency plans the center needs to be prepared for. The Colonel is a great speaker, and it's an enlightening discussion, so I really hope you'll enjoy this episode. Let's roll the music. everybody, welcome to Go Bolt. My name is Jody Tariwala and I'm your host. And today I'm very happy to have as a guest, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Kenny, who is an officer with the Canadian Army. And he is also the commanding officer of the Canadian Army Advanced Warfare Centre. So I'm really looking forward to this chat because I know very little about the Advanced Warfare Centre. And so the Colonel has been kind to spend some time with us to, to bring us up to speed. So uh, Colonel Kenny, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, uh, Jody, thank, thanks so much. And, and it's an honor to be here. And, and I understand that the name of the, the unit is quite the mouthful. So uh, the Advanced Warfare Center will, will work and, and we'll, we'll just keep it at that. Right on, right on. Well, thank you. Uh, so as I do with all of my guests, I, I start by asking, what was your motivation to join the military? And what made you pick the branch that you did? Yeah, so uh, um, I think a, a lot of people, um, especially I joined in the mid 90s, um, not a lot of attachment to the to the military, um, except for, you know, all of our grandparents and, and that generation from World War Two. And so um, for me, it was a, uh, a bit of a, a chance encounter. Um, I was uh, happily enjoying my studies at Civilian University, Queen's University, and I was studying politics. And due to some of the sort of changes and, and things that were happening uh, it, within the education system, uh, then um, I was looking at having a year where I couldn't take a full slate of uh, of my courses. And, and so I had to look elsewhere, where could I pick up um, some of those extra courses? Cause I was studying international relations and, you know, um, you, you want to get through your degree program and onto the real world. And so I, I wasn't really prepared to kind of do a half schedule or, or focus uh, elsewhere. And, and so I started researching, um, could I take some of my courses at RMC because the two schools um, being in Kingston, I do have a relationship um, and, and certainly do share the, the ability to, to kind of have courses um, taken on, on one side or the other. Um, inevitably, however, uh, as I was doing that research, um, a couple things, you know, occurred to me. One was um, I, I grew up as a part of the Top Gun generation, which is, you know, <laughs> pertinent now. Uh, so, so, so certainly... Um, I, I was always like, oh, yeah, I'd love to be a fighter pilot. Um, and, uh, and, and second was um, certainly 
um, as somebody who was interested uh, fairly deeply in international relations and understanding foreign policy and, and the important part that the uh, armed forces of any nation, you know, plays in that foreign policy, um, you know, the, the opportunity to have kind of that, that real world experience began to um, appeal more and more. And, and, you know, so as I began to do more research, the opportunity to, to transfer in was, was something that, that became evident. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I originally for like a very brief moment until they confirmed that my color vision was not up to snuff. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I, the plan was to become a pilot and, uh, and, and, and join the military that way. Um, but frankly, I ended up in the army and I ended up in the infantry. Uh, I am an infantry officer by trade okay. uh, because I wanted to be a doer. And, and so I had that motivation to, to go study and, and to further sort of my academic piece. I had an opportunity to transfer in mm-hmm. uh, and, and I had an opportunity to do something that was going to be at the, at the pony end of, of all of that. And so that, those things all jumbled together. And next thing you know, uh, I transferred after second year at, at Queens University and became an officer cadet in first year over at the Royal Military College in Kingston. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that that opportunity existed and, uh, and clearly has paid dividends because here you are, a lieutenant colonel, and uh, I suspect uh, you're, you're going to continue in that you know, climbing the ranks uh, over time. But uh, yes, exactly. Hope so for sure. Uh, so, tell me a little bit about your training. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm fairly familiar with pilot training, um, but what's it like in the Canadian Army? Yeah, so um, it it has evolved over the years, um, but certainly it, it follows the same format. Um, once you uh, uh, come through your basic and, and all of that, and, and you begin your trade training, the, the, the first step uh, as an infantry officer is to do uh, a common army training phase. Um, it, it focuses on, you know, section level, which is, you know, eight to 10 uh, soldiers. Uh, and you learn not only just the, the ins and outs of living out in the field and the, you know, the practical things about how to eat and how to dress and do ablutions and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also learn, you know, um, you do some leadership tasks and, and you begin to learn sort of the more uh, technical aspects of field navigating by compass and, and things like that field craft. Um, then depending on whether or not you're, you know, um, going through one of the military colleges or direct entry, you may or may not have breaks in that. So because I was at a military college, I would do my trade training uh, in the summers and I would do um, school during the, the, you know, the sort of normal school year. So the following summer I was back and, and your second training is focused on uh, dismounted uh, platoon command skills. So now you are uh, commanding and controlling patrols of 30 to 35 folk, um, learning how to do dismounted uh, infantry attacks um, and also, again, learning sort of the low-level sustainment activities that happen in support of that, along with, you know, the different types of weapon systems that begin to become incorporated uh, at, at that point. And then finally, after you, you're done that, you, you take all of that knowledge um, and you then apply it in a mechanized context. And so they get us in on, on our uh, lab family of vehicles uh, and you're doing um, very much the, the, the same uh, type of training uh, focused on offensive, defensive, and, and transition type operations uh, in a mechanized context uh, based off of the LAV platform. Very, very cool. And so as you went through that training period, um, you mentioned that you are an infantier. So clearly there's various different areas of the Canadian Army that you could have chose to go into. Uh, you said you're a doer. So have you found that being an infantier allows you to be a doer? A hundred percent. However, uh, I'd be remiss if, if I gave the impression that 
the infantry can do it all on its own and, and we certainly can't. And, and so as you progress past that sort of initial level, you could do, do some sort of staff and, and tactical type courses, but you, you know, I would say the pinnacle um, of my training as, as an infantry officer is the combat team commanders course. Uh, where we learn and practice commanding the large combat teams, uh, a mix of tanks, uh, infantry, artillery uh, in support, and and combat engineers out on the ground, um, helping us not only breach obstacles, uh, provide direct fire support, but then, you know, assist in the maneuver that it takes to uh, to, to find the weak spot on the enemy and, and get in onto the objective and, and clear through there. And, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's an incredible rush. Uh, having 100 or so vehicles uh, under your command, uh, giving orders as you're on the move and, and, you know, kind of having all of those entities sort of coalescing at, at one or two uh, key moments and, and getting through and, and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it's an incredible uh, feeling and, and it's an incredible job and certainly a lot of doing that that happens uh, on the way to the objective. I love it. I love it. So because this podcast is international and available around the globe, uh, for those that are not familiar with the Canadian Army, how would you describe it to, say, somebody in Europe? Like, how would you describe the Canadian Army as a fighting force? I would describe it as a combat-capable, balanced, and flexible organization. Um, Is it the largest army out there? Absolutely not. Um, But that means that we pride ourselves on our flexibility, on our agility, and on the initiative that is spurred through um, our use of mission command, where we focus really intently on the intent of what the commander is trying to achieve and and spend a lot less time telling folks how to do it. And we focus on getting the resources uh, to them at the right time, um, you know, in order to have the the best effect possible, um, because we have to be diligent with the limited resources that that we're going to have. But certainly our contributions internationally including right now as a part of the enhanced forward presence and uh, operator assurance, you know, um, we're, we're leading a battle group um, with, with plans to do more. And, and I think uh, um, that speaks for itself. We're, we're a valued uh, member of NATO and we value all of the other members of, of NATO as, as a part of the, the team. Yeah, right on. Everywhere I've gone in the world, I've been heartened to see that Canada is uh, highly regarded. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I, th- I think there's also that uh, realism, uh, or I guess that reality that, you know, we aren't the biggest, and we can't do everything, but we are good at what we what we do. So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you joined in the mid 90s. Um, so I suspect, uh, I should never assume, but I suspect you served in in combat. Yeah, so I joined in 97. Uh, I graduated in 2001. I had finished my training. Uh, and then, uh, like a lot of people, I watched um, the airplanes fly into uh, the World Trade Center and, and sort of made my first phone call to my boss saying, I'm pretty sure I probably need to come to work. And he was like, yeah, you pretty much do. Yeah, right. So right. it was an intense time. Uh, we had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, but we did what um, the Army does, which is we immediately began training to make ourselves prepared to do whatever um, the government uh, of Canada asked us to do. And, and so for me, that meant getting up to uh, Petawawa and, uh, and taking command of a platoon and getting that platoon out in the field and, and doing some incredible training. Uh, and that um, was, was, you know, something that we did for a while. Um, but I had the privilege of deploying on the first rotation into Kabul um, wow. in 2003. And so um, I was uh, I was working with uh, the brigade commander at the time who who went on to command the army, uh, Lieutenant General uh, Peter Devlin, and so I was privileged to learn from um, an incredible officer, uh, served with some uh, an absolutely incredible headquarters and and a bunch of great officers, and and certainly also got to operate. Um, and see that joint multinational piece, um, because of course we were there with uh, German, uh, French, um, a lot of partner nations uh, were a part of 
of that group. And, and so um, that was my introduction into operating in, in Afghanistan. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it was not um, by any stretch of the imagination the, the same as, as the troops that were patrolling there every day. Um, I did return in, uh, in March uh, 2008, um, but I returned as a part of an American headquarters. And I did a year. Uh, so I was deployed from April 2008 to March 2009 as a part of a, an American two-star headquarters. And our job was to support the Afghan National Army from sort of the upper echelons of the army uh, down to the brigade and, and ensure that not only were they getting the kit and equipment that they needed to be successful on, on the battlefield, um, but that we were also enabling them from a training perspective as well. And so, um, you know, in a lot of ways, um, it was difficult to be in Afghanistan during that time, not being contributing directly to, to the combat operations. Um, but, you know, similarly, um, as we know that the nation building, uh, the, the training, the support, the institutional development uh, piece as a part of the total approach to assisting in, uh, in Afghanistan and the whole of government approach, um, you know, contributing as a part of an American organization was an eye-opening um, experience, being able to spend the morning in the uh, sort of western part of uh, Afghanistan in Herat, uh, fly down to Kandahar in the afternoon uh, to finish up, uh, you know, other um, meetings and and uh, and work, and then get back to Kabul um, in the late evening. You know, allowed me to to travel and, and to see a large part of that country, and not you know necessarily ha have the same. Uh, um, challenges uh, as the, the folks, you know, in the front lines uh, throughout Afghanistan, but contributing nonetheless. Yeah. Um, although your roles were different, I like to ask of your observations of what it was like from when you were there. And quite candidly, I'm, I'm really interested in your first, I guess, rotation into Afghanistan, because as you said, you were there at the, from the beginning and it must have been chaotic and and really interesting from that perspective. But really, I guess I'm, I'm quite interested in how you saw Afghanistan in comparison from your first time there to your second time, even though you were doing different things. So there's a context, um, you know, that what has happened most recently in Afghanistan is, is sad and difficult for a lot of people that serve there. Um, and I would say that a lot of Canada's um, accomplishments um, kind of get get lost in 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 the, uh, the tragedy that is the Taliban um, back in power. Um, what I will say that is, is this though, um, when we first got there, we were right on the heels of a lot of our NATO partners getting into theater. And we took over from a German headquarters that had been doing an, an amazing job and certainly had, um, had set us up for success. Um, we also were able to bring um, you know, we had a, a large contingent. We, we had a mix of, of labs. We had a, a mix of sort of the old uh, Iltis uh, vehicles that allowed us to get into the streets and, and, and to get out and, and fan out um, and have that sort of personal contact, that, that human connection that I think um, Canadian soldiers embodied throughout their entire time. Um, and, and which allowed us to, to have a better than average relationship with our Afghan counterparts. Um, I can tell you a lot of development and a lot of reconstruction happened between when I left in 2004 and when I got back in, in 2008. Um, a lot of the development was restricted to the major urban centers, clearly. Um, a lot of the North had not actually been very traumatized by a lot of the conflict. Um, being up in Mazar-e-Sharif, um, burgeoning city, not a lot of destruction and certainly a, a large focus on um, trying to, to get the, the pieces of government and, and the economy sorted out to, to bring that stability. Um, obviously, the closer you, you got to some of the borders, um, the, the scars of, of war were there. Um, but you know, the most important part was that we had a willing 
partner uh, in the Afghans who were taking pride and were making progress in, in the development of their capabilities. And they were also benefiting from the, uh, you know, the force multiplying support that the coalition could, could bring um, to them and, and, and what they were trying to do. And, and of course, for the most part, we, we were there um, trying to support them. And, mm-hmm. and really, we're, we're trying to be, be that force multiplier for them while, while, they, while they took uh, um, the lead on, on their own security. Long-term, we obviously wish for a better outcome. Um, but I can say that um, between 2004 and, and 2008, um, there had been a lot of good. And, and I would say that there's a generation of men, women, children who got to be educated, who got to get health care, um, who, who had their eyes opened. And, and of course, that is the seed um, of Afghanistan's future. And, and so we just have to uh, um, hope that they come out on the other end of what is happening now uh, prepared to, you know, to, to sow those seeds. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Colonel. Um, although what has happened in Afghanistan is a tragedy, uh, you know, with the Taliban taking over, uh, my hope is, as with yours, that those seeds will take hold and grow in time. Um, yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about your thoughts about the Afghan National Army, but you kind of have spoken to it. From what I am hearing, they were doing a good job and the best that they could do, but I guess emboldened by the fact that they were supported by the coalition. A hundred percent. And, you know, that security force capacity building piece, which um, one of my more recent tour um, in, in uh, 2018 was to Iraq to do essentially a very similar piece. We weren't doing the accompaniment um, out while, while they were uh, out conducting their operations, but, but we we're training them. And, it, and it's absolutely the same goal. Um, increase their battlefield survivability, give them the uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures to survive on the battlefield, and, and to give them that like international moral support of like, we're in this with you, and we want you to win, and we're going to contribute to you winning as well. And, and so, um, yeah, there will always be differences and, and, and cultural differences, but that sort of cultural intelligence piece um, Want to, you know, when we come back to what does Canada bring in terms of a diverse uh, army and a diverse nation and how that educates our approach to getting into um, helping different countries that will have a different perspective on things that, you know, I really think that that's one of the strengths that we bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it actually all leads up to what you're doing today because, you know, you've referenced training a lot in our discussion thus far. And um, I have often said in various episodes of this podcast that if you're not at combat, you're training. Um, but but in a way, I, I know I'm also wrong in that because when you're deployed, well, that's not training. You're actually working, you know, you're, you're employing those skills, but it's still training, you know, until you actually get into a, a fight, I guess. And of course, none of us want that to happen. You know, before we speak about the Advanced Warfare Center, I'll just ask a little bit about your thoughts of what you're seeing in the war in Ukraine. I don't know if you've been there, if you've been involved in any of the training of the Ukrainian soldiers, but just from a, a soldier's perspective, as you look at that conflict, what are what are you seeing? Um, I'm seeing tremendous courage. Um, I am seeing a country fighting for its existence you know, making an incredible sacrifice. Um, I'm inspired every day by, you know, um, how they are taking the fight to the invasion. Um, I will say this, um, I have a ton of peers that I am so fortunate to call friends that have been there, that have contributed to that mission directly. And the contributions that they have made in terms of dedicating um, the resources that they could, their time there to training Ukrainian forces to be skilled at combined arms and and skilled at at combat, um, you know, will never match the the sacrifices that the Ukrainians um, are making, but it it is um, so incredibly noteworthy. Uh, And it speaks to a couple things. Uh, it, it speaks to the way 
that they have, you know, adopted a similar approach to embracing uh, initiative at the lowest level. Their senior NCOs um, have a, an incredibly important role in, in leadership at that very pointy end, uh, you know. Um, they have demonstrated an ability to employ combined arms forces to incredible effect. They're achieving strategic surprise and uh, deception. And they have used light forces uh, in complex terrain, armed with state-of-the-art uh, anti-armor and, and, and UAVs, and, and are combining those to great effect, making best use of the terrain and making um, best use of the forces at their disposal. So, um, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, um, it, it's validating to our approach and, and to our collective approach as like-minded Western nations to to how um, it is to, to fight and, and what it means to fight. And of course, the, the last piece is, you know, the importance of that humanitarian piece and, and, and the human approach and laws of armed conflict and, and all of that stuff. And, and so it is, uh, it is really um, great to see. Yeah. Thank you for that perspective, Colonel. That, that is insightful. And, and I agree. It is, uh, it is great to see. Um, so it's actually a really good segue over to the Army's Advanced Warfare Center that you command. Uh, tell me what the center does, and I'd love to hear about some of the more interesting initiatives that you have underway currently. Yeah, so I'll start with the basics. Uh, we're, we're actually a fairly small group, uh, 135 regular reserve civilian uh, members of DND and, and the Canadian Armed Forces. And we are located on CFB Trenton. So of course we're an army unit on a great big air force base, but there are so many good reasons for that. And, and most of them are tied to the incredible support we receive from eight wing and the RCAF in, in support of a lot of our training outcomes. So we are an individual training organization, but I kind of liken us to a, a four headed beast. Um, and, and for anybody from my unit that me listen to this their like eyes are all rolling around in their heads right now but um it's it's the best way to uh to describe what the canadian army advanced warfare center is about so the first one is we're about high readiness operational outputs so we have what is called the airborne support group um we force generate that in support of the canadian joint operations command cjock and their conplan soteria, which is the response into the Arctic in the event of a major air or major maritime disaster. And so I have a, uh, a group of uh, 12 soldiers, uh, two liaison officers who are on an elevated 12 hours notice to move, um, 365 days a year. Uh, that is a secondary duty to everything else that, that they've got going on. Um, and we're there to, uh, to assist the, the search and rescue technicians that would be responding to the incident. And we're there to provide the real life support, the, the shelter, um, the medical uh, facilities to assist with transporting and evacuating uh, everything from stoves and food and, and all of that. We're there to support those that will be doing the actual uh, life-saving care uh, on the ground. And, and so that is um, obviously because of the nature of the task, because it is operational, it's my number one priority. Um, and, and certainly the, the unit um, you know, is ready 365 um, in order to, to support that. And uh, Colonel, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you not just exercise that capability or uh a couple of weeks ago yeah excellent if you could maybe just give me a little bit of a flavor of what exactly you did there yeah so in conjunction um with the SAR squadron uh, here in uh, Trenton um we we had some uh um some soldiers uh you know get all done up in the moulage kits uh you know simulating a an a, a air crash. And then we went through the entire process of doing the recall, getting people into the unit, um, dispatching them by, uh, by C-130. They parachute in. That is the unique aspect about responding to the Arctic is because there's no infrastructure and because the, the lines of communication are so long, really to get all of the equipment, to get all of the people up there, you're, you're parachuting in. So yeah, so the uh, Sartex jumped in, 
we jumped in, they dropped some kit. So then we, we had an opportunity to have all of those vehicles and equipment land, unpack them, set them up. Um, the, the Sartex went and did their triage and began their treatments. Uh, while we were setting up the living spaces, you know, get the folks into warmth, heaters are on. Uh, and, and so it was, a, it was a great opportunity for everybody to kind of scrub uh, their plans, you know, confirm the recall lists, um, learn all of the little lessons, you know, make some tweaks along the way. And, and you know, it's all about training to be ready and, and, and making sure that if the flag ever does go up, then, then we're, we're ready and, and we are practiced. So, yeah. Hey, everybody. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions, for their support of this podcast. Part of what we do at Go Bold is engage with senior leaders and have conversations that address topics like service, leadership, current events, and new and emerging technologies. In this episode, you're hearing about the importance of training, and that is an area where Cubic is recognized as a global leader. For example, since 2003, Cubic has been providing live simulation support to the Canadian Army through the Canadian Weapon Effects Simulation Program. That includes new capabilities like multi-code instrumented harness kits, the latest in wireless vehicle kits, and urban operations training systems. You'll also get an appreciation for the need for robust and secure communications, and that is another area where Cubic leads. This expertise includes edge computing and networking, data link solutions, and expeditionary communications. We are proud to have Cubic as a teammate for this podcast, and we thank them for their faith in us to help preserve the voices of military leaders like our guest today. I encourage you to learn more about them at cubic.com. Now, let's get back to our chat. So I have to ask then, what were some of the major takeaways that you came away with um, afterwards? Yeah, so uh, um, one is, is is that we need to do more of it. Um, So uh, 100%, um, uh, it it is something that is a perishable skill like anything else. And uh, when you're talking about getting folks, getting their kit packed, getting it organized, getting it loaded on the airplane, dispatching, having them then you know, get onto the ground and, and quickly know how to, you know, get open the containers, how to set everything up. Like that is a perishable skill. And if you're not doing it all the time, then you, uh, you can, you can fall behind. And, and then, and then the other thing is, is that of course, because we do have soldiers who get transferred in and transferred out and who might be injured and they're being replaced, then, then there's a training bill that goes with that as well. So the number one is, is that we need to do uh, more practice. The number two thing, um, and it was exemplified um, by the fact that the Canadian Coast Guard was invited by the Joint Regional Rescue Centre and by the, uh, the SARTAX, is that it, this is an interagency uh, game. Uh, and certainly that those relationships um, are critically important. And, and so, you know, th- those are some of the observations that, that I passed up and, and hopefully um, you know, in, in short order, we'll, we'll have some, some of those formal connections made because in the event that maritime traffic in the Arctic increases, well, guess what? So do the chances of, of stuff happening. And, and so as the situation evolves and, and as climate change takes, um, you know, its effects and we have more open uh, sea uh, up in the Arctic, then, then you're necessarily uh, um, looking at a higher probability of there being accidents. And, and so, um, for us, we have to keep training and, and, and keep uh, certainly the lines of communication open between other governmental departments. Yeah, I'm glad that you exercised it. And it's good that you've seen those, um, I guess, areas where you can improve, which is exactly why you exercise, right? So, 100%. Yeah, right on. Uh, okay, sorry. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, so like yeah. head number two, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, so he- head number two is, is that we're a training institution. Um, and so, uh, I've got, uh, you know, a headquarters, I have a company, uh, you know, s- sub organization that is dedicated training. And then I have another super important one, um, that is, uh, dedicated to supporting all that training. 
So not only do I have probably the, the best unit in the army to command and I'm biased, but um, I think so. Sure. But I have one of the newer buildings opened in 2016. I have an indoor climbing facility, indoor rappelling facility. I have indoor parachute training facility. That's I awesome. have, um, oh yeah, uh, I have a rappelling site on the outside of my building. I have another sort of simulated helicopter dispatch tower um, across the road. And we have the what we call the mock tower, which is where we uh, train the uh, basic parachutists to one, be confident to jump out the door, mm -hmm. uh, and and two, to you know, to, to make sure that they they have all the sort of hands and feet drill uh, in order to be successful. And so we kind of have divided all the training into functional lines based on a core capability and and then the supporting uh, capabilities that go with that. And so um, one of our platoons is uh, is one platoon. It's the Patrol Pathfinder platoon, and. And the patrol pathfinder program that we have uh, is most challenging um, army course that, that there is. Um, and, and it focuses on the insertion of army elements by air, land, and sea. And so parachuting, uh, disembarkation, and, and of course, uh, through the uh, infiltration and, and cross-country movement. And so that platoon um, runs the, the, the course that runs once, once a year, um, an incredibly long course. It's a three-month course, uh, and all of the associated uh, skill sets that that go with that. So, landing zone and drop zone uh, registry and control, um, helicopter under slung operations. So, when you see the Chinooks with uh, equipment vehicles otherwise hooked underneath them, um, it's that piece. Helicopter insertion master. So. The, the, the fast ropes and the helicopter insertion uh, piece that, that would also happen. And then aerial delivery, which is the rigging and packing and preparation of uh, equipment and supplies and, and vehicles for aerial delivery um, by uh, parachute um, out of typically strategic uh, uh, lifts. So um, that, that's, that's our one platoon. Our second platoon is uh, responsible uh, for the complex terrain in the advanced mountain operations course. So whether or not it is uh, operating in an urban environment, uh, repelling in, in that context off of fixed points, off of buildings and stuff like that, or clearly uh, out in the mountains, west coast on, on a glacier, uh, on a cliff face, um, they, they are responsible for, for teaching those skills. And and, you know, in the advanced mountain operations piece, because of this, the snow um, as well, we, we have a, a small sort of telemark uh, ski package that, that that's a piece of that. Um, that leads us uh, into our third platoon, which uh, from the perspective of, you know, sort of the strategic environment right now, uh, super important because it's our cold weather and Arctic operations uh, platoon. And so um, the cold weather leader course, um, which focuses on sort of thriving uh, and excelling uh, at operations below the tree line, um, you know, deals with a lot of the, um, not just the survival sort of, you know, trapping and some of those skills, um, the actual maintaining the ability to operate, you know, work rest cycles, things like that. Uh, through ice drills. So we cut a big hole uh, in a body of water, you know, get through the ice, uh, learn how to control your, your body's natural reaction in that scenario, which is to like exhale all your air and freeze. Uh, and so you have to overcome that. Uh, and the cross-country skiing piece, which is a, obviously a natural uh, a part of, uh, of operating sort of below the tree line. And, and of course, um, in the context of the Arctic uh, operations course, uh, we head up to the Canadian Armed Forces Arctic Training Center. Uh, we integrate with the Canadian Rangers uh, and, and we work on that survival piece uh, on um, learning how to, to plan and execute our Arctic patrols um, in that context uh, using snowmobiles and, and navigating um, the survival piece, you know, we benefit from the uh, from the instruction of our Canadian Rangers and, and our, uh, our Inuit uh, partners up there. So it's uh, it's incredible, um, which leads to our fourth platoon, uh, which is our airborne platoon. So we have two types of parachuting uh, round and, and, and that gives us a, a mass effect. 
So we have a basic parachutist, uh, jump master and parachute instructor. And then from a free fall square canopy uh, perspective, which gives you your precision capability, um, the same thing, your military free fall specialist, uh, then your jump master and your parachute instructor uh, on that side. And then just kind of over top of all of that, that training stuff, we, we have a, uh, um, a, a functional center of excellence piece that deals with the course content that makes sure that, you know, we are um, incorporating the lessons learned, modernizing the, uh, the course content as we go along. Um, and as a part of that, we also have an airborne trials and evaluation section, which allows us to introduce new uh, parachute uh, capabilities, uh, new equipment to that. And, and all, obviously, um, if we have to drop something out of the air that has never been dropped out of the air, um, then, then they're the ones that, that take on that responsibility as well. So that's the big training piece. Yeah, right on. And I believe you guys are going to be exercising um, something to that effect in the near in the near future here. Yeah, so one of our uh, objectives for this winter, um, uh, for a couple of reasons, one, because we haven't done it in, in, in a very long time, and, and two, in support of uh, um, the uh, DAME project, which is going to modernize our uh, Arctic mobility um, suite, is that we are going to be dropping one of the, you know, the BV-206s, which is our existing medium over snow vehicle in the Arctic. And, and we're going to try to uh, um, make sure that that all of our procedures and, and all of our um, uh, rigging work is good to go from that perspective. And that will, of course, facilitate um, you know, future work um, with, with that equipment. So yeah, it's uh, obviously a lot of breadth and, and a lot of stuff to, to keep us busy there. Yeah. Um, I've seen videos um, and I don't know what the terminology is, so I'll, I'll ask for your help, but I've seen videos of airdrop from altitude. And I've also seen videos of parachute extracted equipment when an aircraft is quite low to the ground. Um, so yeah. it's like, like super low to the ground, um, not really where the parachute inflates to, to allow well, the air. Mostly, you know, like 10 to 15 feet off the ground and kind of hits and skids and, exactly. and, and slides. Yeah. So that's a, a, a parachute extraction system. So uh, it falls uh, under the broad category of aerial delivery. Um, but, but there's, you know, there's different types of drops depending on how heavy it is, uh, depending on how big it is, to, depending on um, the altitude from which uh, you're, you're dropping it. So um, yeah, there, there's a, there is, you know, a manual about that thick that, that that covers all, all those uh, different types of uh, aerial delivery options. Right. And so with the BV-206 that you guys are planning to drop, uh, is that going to be from altitude or will that yeah, be a so parachute be from, extraction? That'll be from, no, that'll be from altitude in, in order to, uh, because what we're, what we're trying to do is, you know, it, it's all a part of um, ensuring that we have the capabilities that, that the government of Canada needs. And so if we have to get those vehicles out uh, project them out into into the Arctic in, in a timely way, then then that's going to be by parachute. So we have to get them rigged. We have to get them uh, under canopy and, and get them down safely under the ground because there'll be people um, out there presumably uh, to 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 make use of them as well. So right, right, really interesting. Um, so does any of what you guys are doing at the Advanced Warfare Center include any of the capabilities for weapons effect simulation? Um, because I know that that type of training does happen with the Canadian Army, but I don't know if that gets weaved into the Advanced Warfare Center at all. Um, so typically it, it doesn't. So we focus on individual training and individual skills. Um, and, and so uh, there's not a lot of uh, kind of that force on force component, which um, forms a, a very important aspect of our collective training as an army, where we go back to those combined arm teams and, and we're training them to prepare them for operations or to prepare them for uh, contingency operations. And, and so uh, in that context, you would, you would see um, a much greater use of, of the weapons effects simulator in order to, uh, to provide that additional realism to the training. Uh, interesting. Okay. Um, and then what about advanced military equipment? Um, does that factor into any of the individual training that you mentioned? Yeah. 
So one of the important things that it, that is always happening and, and certainly is, is really pertinent right now is our efforts to modernize not only how we train, but what we are training on. And so I'll use the example of our one platoon in the, in the patrol pathfinder course. So a part of the patrol pathfinders, as I previously mentioned, is inserting by airland or sea um, follow-on forces to, to conduct a, a, any type of task. So we would, you know, depending on the task, be bringing different types of elements um, and, and different capabilities into the battle space. And so what we did this past year, um, which is, of course, something that, uh, you know, is an emerging capability within Canada, but we, we had a light um, electronic warfare team out and we had them out on the ground and just being able to, to bring that sort of technological you know, eye opener to our troops and to our candidates to allow them to, to not only gain that exposure, but you know, be able to advise on how can they best get that resource onto the ground for a commander that they're supporting. Um, UAVs is, is another key one. So a lot of um, the operations, as you've seen, um, are supported by some type of uh, overhead watch, uh, unmanned aerial vehicle. And so what you end up um, sometimes needing to do is you, you need to get that stuff uh, out where they can support the troops. And, and so our pathfinders were practicing not only um, getting them uh, in, into a battle space, but then also learning how to, um, you know, orient uh, what they are seeing on the feed and, and incorporating that into their operations. And of course, that just makes them uh, um, better at their job in, in, in the long run. Right. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, what I find really kind of um, cool, I guess, to, <laughs> to use the word is, uh, is the pathfinders and how they've got to as the name denotes, you know, they're, they're the ones kind of leading the way. And so, like you mentioned, they have to insert, whether it be from uh, land, air, sea. Um, so that training has got to be long and it's got to be um, obviously quite diverse. I find it fascinating. Uh, and I think there are some interesting things that, that you guys have exercised recently uh, out in, uh, in the West, I believe. Yeah. So uh, again, the, the best part about the Advanced Warfare Center is how innately uh, joint in terms of incorporating all the, the other capabilities within the Canadian Armed Forces. And, and so patrol pathfinders were out in Victoria uh, during the course. And, and so we, we receive incredible support from a multitude of organizations. Um, we were operating uh, off the cyclone. And, and so what an incredible uh, state-of-the-art platform, incredible sensor suite, uh, and there they are, um, not only learning about the capabilities of the airframe itself, uh, but then deploying um, off, uh, off of that platform, jumping out in, into the sea and then conducting like their infiltration uh, by water. Uh, same thing working with the Naval Tactical Operations Group and, and their uh, uh, rigid hull inflatable uh, boats. And I mean, what an incredible capability that is high speed maneuver um, as you're infiltrating uh, in towards a beachhead and, and there they are. Next thing they're, they're off uh, and, and they're swimming and, and infiltrating in and, and getting the support of the Royal Canadian Navy to, to operate off of some of the coastal uh, defense uh, vessels and, and, you know, plan. Uh, plan while you're on the ship, how are you going to get from that ship onto land? And then, you know, what is the process going to be for the link ups and, and getting in towards the, the objective area? And so, so yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible, uh, um, it's an incredible program. And of course, uh, it, it does really speak to that, to that joint aspect of, of the school. Yeah, yeah. So the Canadian government recently published its Indo-Pacific strategy, and obviously the Canadian army has to be prepared to deploy anywhere uh, the government calls upon. So do you see a focus in the training that you provide at the Advanced Warfare Centre to any particular region, or are you just kind of creating the capability where the soldiers should be able to adapt regardless of where they're going to go? Yeah, so we focus on all uh, of the different environments. So I have an embedded Brazilian liaison officer who's responsible for helping us work through the jungle environment. So uh, whether or not it's in the Arctic, the jungle, uh, 
uh, in more sort of uh, temperate environment, mountainous, uh, complex terrain. Um, the reason why the Canadian Army uh, has its advanced warfare center is to ensure that it possesses the, the capabilities and the skills required uh, to get people to where they need to be safely and um, able to then operate and be effective in whatever subsequent operation uh, follows through. So um, we're there to support all of uh, Canada's needs, and, and certainly we don't privilege any over another, but, but there are some that have the dual uh, aspect of allowing us to excel in, in domestically and ensure that sort of uh, continental defense role, which, which is super vital, ex exert our um, sovereignty uh, from coast to coast and, and into the Arctic. Um, and then uh, obviously uh, focused on, on that, that combat capable flexibility, agility that, that the Army needs. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very interesting and it just sounds like such a such a cool place to work, Colonel. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot that you're trying to provide and uh and uh yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um so I guess, you know, as we close out, uh what is next for the Army's Advanced Warfare Center? Like are there any new initiatives or kind of new programs that you might have afoot or or it, what's going to be the evolution? Yeah. Of the center. Yeah, and 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 I'm going to do that, but but I also have to weave in the other two heads of my beast here. So I, I'm oh, going to do that quickly. I, I'm sorry, and I apologize. I completely yeah, forgot. No, yeah, no, no, yeah. no worries. So and and it is tied to the to this piece. So um, one of the important things that we do is is um, we are the home of the airdrop systems technician uh, trade, and and they provide the sort of real life operational support to the Canadian Armed Forces uh, parachuting operations. So from Sartex um, through the Canadian uh, Special Operations Command um, through the Canadian Army, and so um, you know one of the things that that we're kind of getting oriented on now is uh, is modernizing and consolidating some of our parachute fleets to make sure that we continue to have. Um, that important capability uh, through the future and, and as long as uh, we require it. And one of the important parts of the Canadian Army and, and the Canadian Armed Forces being able to do its job is we're in the middle of opera generation. We got to get um, the, the strength and, and the recruiting piece. And one of our key tools for that um, is the Canadian uh, Armed Forces Parachute Demonstration Team. And so for those that have been on social media and have seen some of the amazing videos of the uh, Skyhawks, as, as they're more commonly known, um, certainly the canopy relative work that they do, you know, the smokes and the spins and the, the rules, it, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, if you've been to an air show or a Canada Day or, or just a, a local uh, gathering, you might have seen them. And, and so they're a part of what we also do. And, and so when it comes to sort of modernizing what we are doing, um, you know, getting the Skyhawks out and teaming them up with not only demonstrations from the Canadian Air Force, uh, but, but getting, uh, you know, that local connection, that, that's a, you know, that's a part of, of something that, that we've got to grow. And, and that's certainly a direction that we're heading on. Hmm. Um, but, you know, some of the other things that, that we're also doing to modernize um, how we're doing is, you know, a science-based approach to a lot of the uh, trials and testing that we do. So whether okay. or not it's uh, providing, you know, athletic therapists and, and physiotherapists to our patrol pathfinders who, you know, embody the, the concept of the tactical athlete. Um, you know, we're, we're making improvements to success rates and lowering injury rates and things like that. Um, then we're going to improve, you know, our, uh, our entry tests for some of our more challenging uh, sort of technical courses, you know, free fall, you know some kinesthetic awareness um, measurements that, that will give us a strong indication of whether or not our candidates are, are able to be successful because what we are doing is certainly not easy. And uh, when you are in free fall and trying to control your body and, and try to uh, turn and, and make sure you're upright, you know, the, the, a lot of that is, uh, is when you're combining that with the sensation of falling um, is, is, you know, is a challenge. And so we're, we're trying to modernize those processes so that um, we, we make best use of, of not only the instructor's time, but the candidate's time and, and all the resources that, that we dedicate to that as well. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me that there's the ability to use modern technology to help in some of those things, like perhaps augmented reality or virtual reality and in, in ways to perhaps prepare some of the candidates, uh, uh, maybe 
indoctrinate them in in a way i, I don't know i'm 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 just wondering if that's in the realm of the feasible so so it, it is certainly um as a part of the canadian army modernization strategy it is something that all of the army training centers are, are looking at and, and the core schools are looking at because if we can get um more uh sets and reps that allow the candidates to uh, approach um, a skill and a task and be more safe and have a you know an improved um, chance of success. Then then we're pushing that envelope. And and I know my commander, uh, Colonel Murphy at the Canadian Combat Training Center. Um, you know that that is one of his priorities is, is where we make best use of all of the resources that are out there to to advance um, our ability to to succeed in our mission, which. Um, it is to provide those sort of world-class um, advanced capabilities uh, to uh, Canadian soldiers. Yeah, right on. I don't know if you can hear it, but there's a cyclone in the background, so <laughs> which <laughs> which is which is very timely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and th that um, just must have been such a neat capability to to exercise with. Yeah, and and like I have to say, you know, uh, being. Being an infantry uh, officer, um, you know, it was pretty cool uh, jumping out the back of uh, Chinook, you know, uh, into the water and, and stuff like that. But um, the Cyclone is a is an awesome uh, platform and, and the sensor suite and, and everything that it's got. Um, and, you know, um, it, it was it was just an, an eye opening experience. And, and of course, uh, you know, it, it embodies that that sort of high tech aspect of, uh, of joint operations and, and everything that, you know, the Canadian Armed Forces can bring to, to the table. Yeah, right on. Uh, are you guys going to be doing more of this type of training out west? Because as you mentioned, uh, the, the, the center is actually located at CFB Trenton. Um, but you know, your training takes place all over Canada. So I'm just kind of curious. Canada and the U.S. actually. Yeah. Oh, really? In the U.S. too? Yeah. So um, again, the, because the four platoons operate four very different programs, the courses go from Paris Valley uh, in California. We run our uh, military freefall uh, program out of there and we get an incredible support from Skydive Paris Valley. They've been partners uh, with the Canadian Armed Forces for an incredibly long time. And, and uh, um, yeah, so started with the Skyhawks and, and the freefall and, and, and we're still there and they, uh, they support a lot of, uh, of, our program. Um, so from California uh, up to obviously Victoria and, and the coast for patrol pathfinders and, and then, um, you know, Resolute Bay uh, for the Arctic uh, operations course. Um, and then, you know, Alberta for advanced mountain operations uh, into Manitoba for the cold weather leader. And of course, Ontario and Quebec, uh, we use those for, for our training areas. And then we have a drop zone for our uh, sort of uh, um, round parachute program uh, just uh, here in Prince Edward County. And, and so, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't be able to do what I do, uh, you know, number one, without my family, clearly, but number two, without my support team, because myself and my uh, RSM, um, we're all over quite often. And so my deputy uh, commanding officer and the rest of the ops team and, and, and our clerks and all the supporters uh, within the unit, they're invaluable because um, we really do have to move people, uh, equipment, uh, and different uh uh, resources all over the country and, and you know and that doesn't include the skyhawks who just go from one side of the country all the way across to the other and, and, and are wowing people uh, throughout the uh, sort of may to october time frame yeah yeah I, i've had the pleasure to see them and they are impressive yeah it's a lot of fun to watch them do their thing it sounds like such a neat place to be and certainly no no lack of diverse things to take on um what is next for you? Uh, you are the commanding officer of the Advanced Warfare Center. Uh, how long have you been there and uh, and where do you see yourself going after? Yeah, so I have been uh, in the seat since uh, July 21. And very recently, the Army commander announced uh, my uh, uh, my replacement who will be taking my chair, uh, clawing and scratching um, at, when I leave in July-ish. Uh, 2023. Okay. Um, but, you know, I'll be handing over to uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Jeremy Govro, 
who I've had an opportunity to serve with. He's a great, uh, great professional. Uh, another infantry officer from the Royal de Deuxième Régiment. Um, and, you know, I, I look forward to reconnecting with him and, and handing over um, what I consider to be the, you know, the pride of the army uh, in terms of a unit. And, and for me, next, uh, um, you know, next steps uh, have not been uh, firmed up yet, but I'm optimistic. Uh, it's a good time to, to be in the army. It's a good time to be in the Canadian forces. And, and I know whatever it'll be that, that's up next, it'll be challenging. Uh, but super rewarding, and we'll see what decisions are made between uh, sort of uh, now and and when I vacate my current position. Well, if you are as passionate about your next position as you are for your current one, you will do smashingly, I'm I'm sure. Um, Colonel, it's been a great pleasure to chat with you and to learn about the Army's Advanced Warfare Center. Thank you very much for spending some time with me today. My absolute pleasure, and and again, uh, it's a it's an honor for me to to be on your podcast. Um, you're the very distinguished uh, folks that have um, sort of preceded me uh, through your care here on the podcast. Uh, you know, speaks to to your quality and, and your dedication uh, to to your craft, and and so I thank you very much for for your time, and and I appreciate our chat. Uh, very, very kind words. Thank you, sir. I, I greatly appreciate that. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again, Colonel Kenny, in, in your next position, because I'm sure it'll be as interesting as this one. So I wish, you, I wish you the best of luck, sir. Uh, that, my friends, was Lieutenant Colonel Tim Kenny. He is the commanding officer of the Canadian Army's Advanced Warfare Center. If you have any questions for us at Gold Bold, please write to us at Go bold the podcast at gmail.com. And we hope you'll join us for another episode of Go Bold. Have a great day, everyone. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.